Hello and welcome in to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patega alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting Andrew Ivins and the guy they call the Nostradamus 24-7 Sports Director of Research. We are in episode two on YouTube. We are very happy to be there on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, but we're going to mix it up. We're going to start a new tradition today. We're going to have a random college football player that each of us will pick once a week. So... Not once a week. We're only on show, I guess, twice a week. But one of us will pick a random college football player. And then Ryan McGrady, you'll give us a bio. Where are they now? Just kind of like our e-Hollywood story. Great way to start the show. So, McGrady, what do we got? Today's random college football player is very random because they only played one year of college football. It's Greg Paulus. Greg went to Christian Brothers Academy in New York where he led the football team to a 42-3 and record and a state title in his four years. But he was an All-American in football and basketball, had scholarship offers to play in both, uh, decided to play at Duke and was their team captain for two years, starting point guard for three, and was the fourth freshman in ACC history to lead the league in assists. And after he graduated in 2008, decided to switch to football, grad transfer to Syracuse, where he was the starting quarterback and team captain in 2009. He still holds the Syracuse record for completion percentage uh, in a career at 67.7%. And now he's currently the head coach of the Niagara Purple Eagles men's basketball team. Here we go, Purple Eagles. <laughs> I thought when we talked about this segment, I'm like, who is the most random college football player that we could just reach into the bag and go find? Greg Paulus. Drew, do you remember him at all? I just remember the back and forth, him just all of a sudden playing football. A little bit surprised to see he's a basketball coach now, and not only a basketball, a head basketball coach. And I think – Niagara is pretty good. Like they're a uh, a team that can make the tournament. So no, I don't remember any specific games. Just has my mind churning on like, all right, who are guys that could actually play football and basketball? Because everyone talks about it as a recruit, um, and there's a very select few that have actually done it. I think Kool Aid McKinstry, Alabama's cornerback, he went through like a few preseason practices with the Tides basketball program, and then Nick Saban shut that down pretty fast. I remember JT Tuomaloa was like the last, you know, uh, heralded recruit that we talked about, about potentially playing basketball. Drew, was it 2025 or 2026? Kendra Harrison, North Carolina? 2026, and I should have brought him up on when we talked North Carolina. I believe he was in Chapel Hill for that win over Miami. That's a big one. Yeah, Nostradamus, Ryan McGrady, great job on the uh, Greg Paulus, my man. I, I know that probably kept you up late last night doing some homework <laughs> on that. Guys, just a reminder, you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you find your podcasts. And also join us on video right here on 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Drew, let's get into it. Recent commit rundown also, you know, we'll kind of call it things you probably missed over the weekend, right? Because we are in the middle of the college football season and there is a lot going on. But especially with recruiting, we got to keep our eyes on that. I like to mention over 90% of the top 247 is already committed. So you're starting to see a slow trickle, maybe some guys that have decommitted and finding new spots as well. So with that, Ryan McGrady, take it away. First up, we got athlete Jalewis Solomon, who committed to South Carolina on Sunday, the three-star number 33 ranked athlete in 2024, was committed to Auburn in August and then decommitted last week and uh, decided to commit to South Carolina just five days later. As a junior, he caught 86 passes for 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, and on defense had 29 tackles, four PBUs, and three picks. His older brother, Zykevius, is a 
D uh, D lineman at Auburn has nine tackles this year, and his younger brother Zayden is a four star, number one ranked linebacker in the class of twenty twenty five. I did not know that. That's why we have you on this show. You make us uh, better and brighter. Um, Drew, I, I don't know about you. I mean, you look at South Carolina, obviously struggling on the field this year a little bit. They got the number eighteen ranked recruiting class the last two years for Shane Beamer on the recruiting trail, I think have been pretty good. And Jalua Solomon is a guy that I like a lot. Ryan mentioned that he was formerly committed to Auburn, but you turn on the tape, two-way player, dynamic, excellent ball skills, had a couple INTs last year, already has three this season, eight touchdowns on the offensive side of the ball. He's kind of like the Nye Carr kind of like exhibit, right? You dig into him a little bit with the profile. There's really nothing there, right, in terms of track and field data, verified data. He hadn't been to any combines like that, but you turn on the senior tape, it pops. I like what South Carolina's done, Drew. It wasn't long ago when we would look at the top of South Carolina's class and be like, hmm, do they have the guys that it takes to compete? I mean, you look at Carolina this year, Dylan, Dylan Stewart, Josiah Thompson, Michael Smith, who I know you love, Fred Johnson, Cam Pringle, Wendell Gregory, Mazio Bennett, all those guys are in the top two, four, seven for us. All those guys are guys that we love. And then you add in a guy like Jalewis Solomon, who you get from Hugh Freeze and the Auburn Tigers. That's a big kid. I like this kid. I, I do think this is a type of kid that can play early for the Gamecocks. Yeah, and if you read the Big Spur, the 24-7 sports site for uh, uh, South Carolina, they're mentioning that the staff has relayed. They think Lewis is a guy that's going to play early. Coop, I'm going to be honest, you know, going back to his junior season, a lot of offensive snaps. So you, you list him as an athlete. You think, hey, this is a guy that's probably going to be a wide receiver. Actually worked out for Georgia uh, back in June as a receiver. I like him as a corner, right? You know, he's a 4'7 kid in the 40-yard dash, right? So that's not ideal. But you look at some of the other athletic markers, 30-inch vertical jump. You know, he's over 6-foot, 74-inch uh, wingspan. And I think he's fluid and explosive in that lower half. You go to the uh, the senior highlights, excuse me, pop that on, right? The third play, I think he hurdles a defender on his way into the end zone. Uh, South Carolina, they they're trying to get better on the defensive side of the ball. And I think Joe Lewis Solomon is a versatile piece for that secondary, right? He can play press man, off man. Uh, he can mirror with his hips. I, I think he's going to need some coaching when it comes to just being able ready to go on the defensive side of the ball, out on that boundary. I think he could play some field side as well. But you look at the long-term outlook for the Gamecocks, right? Jalen Kilgore, a top 247 safety for them. He's already played over 375 snaps this season as a true freshman. I think that's maybe out of necessity and some injuries. But you would think, hey, this is a three-, four-year starter for us if he can avoid setbacks. Now you're adding Ja Lewis Solomon. We know that they've improved that pass rush. Uh, and Cameron Fountain. USC top two four seven edge rusher commit. He was also in Columbia over the weekend. So Shane Beamer chipping away with his broken foot. I want to know what that conversation was like when Lewis Solomon called the Gamecocks and and Shane Beamer's you know dealing with uh, some medical stuff. You saw he, he after the game he like broke his foot because he kicked something. You saw that Cooper, right? Yeah. Somebody put a uh, somebody put a video together that said you know Shane Beamer's in a press conference and he's talking like he's not an emotional roller coaster. And then they put all these press clippings together of Shane Beamer after the game. He's an emotional guy. He wears his heart on his sleeve. I got no issue with that as well. The timing of the Jalou Solomon commitment 
It's pretty interesting, right? Because it's not like South Carolina is a team on the field that's getting it done right now. And then you get a guy like Jalua Solomon who's having an excellent senior season. But it's important for South Carolina, regardless of what's going on the field, for them to continue to do what they're on, doing on the recruiting trail. I think the arrow's still pointing up, Drew. they got to get it figured out between the white lines. But in terms of what they're doing talent acquisition-wise, a lot to be excited about. All right, Ryan, what you got next? Next up, we got an edge rusher, C.J. Jackson, committing to LSU last Sunday. He's the 30th-ranked edge in the class of 2024. Decommitted from Georgia Tech on October 5th and then went to the LSU-Auburn game at Tiger Stadium last weekend and committed. He has eight sacks so far in 2023, and he's the lone commit from the state of Georgia for the Tigers this year after LSU had four in the class of 2023. Yeah, Ryan, I, that's kind of notable to me, just them in the Peach State. That has kind of been an area where the Tigers have had a ton of success. I mean, B.J. Ojolari, I mean, they've won some big battles there in recent years, and uh, for them to be a little bit dry. Now, I know Joseph Stone, a, uh athlete out of uh, the Atlanta Metro, he recently decommitted. Not surprised to see him part ways with LSU or vice versa, LSU part ways with him. CJ Jackson, to me, this is big because I think I said it a few weeks ago on the podcast. What What is their plan uh, on the defensive line when it comes to edge rushers? You know, they missed out on Colin Simmons, but there really wasn't uh, a ton of other names that – uh, were on the board for them, or, or, or at least we knew about. Now, C.J. Jackson's a kid that was in Baton Rouge for an official visit uh, in June. So the fact that they're able to flip him, I think, is certainly notable. As a senior, he's been playing with a club on his hand. I don't know if he's got a broken hand, um, but he's still producing, uh, still getting after the quarterback. Another kind of one of these kids where we've never really seen him in a camp setting, never seen him in a combine setting, uh, a bit of a ghost online in terms of, hey, what are his measurements? But you pop on the tape uh, and you see him making plays. He's got some burst. He can bend. Um, and that's why we have him as an 89. I mean, he's he's the, the highest three-star grade for us. We'll see you know, how things shake out. But big picture-wise, LSU needed this, right? They only took three defensive linemen last cycle. None of those guys are playing. Now they get C.J. Jackson in the fold. I'm just interested to see what it looks like for the Tigers up front in that pass rush because this feels like the third cycle in a row um, where they're just not loading up at that position. It's been a um, it's been interesting to see what's unfolding with LSU in that defensive line room. I think if you talk to a lot of people in Baton Rouge, there's been a lack of continuity, right? And I think the guy that people point to is five-star Mason Smith. You look at his development or lack thereof, a lot of expectations for him. Brian Kelly comes in his first year, hires defensive line coach Jamar Kane who was at Oklahoma, a quick cup of coffee with USC when he went out there with Lincoln Riley. He's now with Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos after one year, right? You think about what they brought in last year in that cycle. You have guys like Deshaun Womack, obviously the headliner, Jackson Howard as well. And then Jimmy Lindsey, they bring over from South Carolina, has a health issue. He is out for the foreseeable future. So the state of that room has seemed to be in flux, Drew. And, and to me, I'm asking the question is, Who's even heading up defensive line recruiting right now for LSU? You're talking about one of the most important position rooms for a team that for a long time has built their identity at the point of attack on the defensive side of the ball. And this is an area that I think they got to get figured out here pretty quickly and what's going on. Drew, the other question I have for you is LSU, I feel like we haven't talked about this year. And I'm trying to kind of get the feel for the class. They're sitting at number 10 right now. And I think... If you're an LSU fan, it's certainly not a doomsday scenario, right? There's worse places you can be than having a top 10 class. But at the same time, 
I feel like there's a little meat left on the bone as well. Their highest-ranked player, Deshaun McBride, from the state of Louisiana. We have him at number 48. There's two other players in the top 100 for us, Tradez Green and Jelani Watkins. Both guys, I would say, are pretty pure projections. Jelani Watkins in track and field background, and a guy that at five foot nine, 160 pounds, um, is going to have to figure out a way uh, to get in that offense for for Mike Denbrock and find a way to uh, be impactful. Tradez Green, the same deal, basketball background, more of a kind of raw projection there. I guess what I'm saying is, I I don't know. They seem deeper than they typically are, but I'm not sure if they're as talented as they have been in the past. And I'm, I'm, and I'm relating that to more pre-Brian Kelly era, which kind of reminds me of his time at Notre Dame. There were really good classes with really high floor players, but in terms of that top end talent, it kind of always left a little bit more to be desired. Well, I love the secondary class. I, you know, Kai Bates, uh, you can go up and down the list. You mentioned Deshaun McBride, Jawan Johnson, uh, I think the secondary is going to get better, and I think they got some weapons. Jelani Watkins, right? Turn on the NFL right now. What is everyone looking for? These slot wide receivers that can run. Jelani Watkins is a kid that Miles Split had ranked as like the number 15 track and field athlete in the country. I mean, he can absolutely fly. His 200 meter dash time is elite. Uh, you, you brought up Trey Des Green, Kylan uh, Below, the wide receiver. Like, I think they are fine right there. Now, Colin Hurley, the quarterback. You know, got a chance to see him play a few months ago. Still think there's some development. Still think he needs to get better at processing. Uh, but my big question mark would be kind of the trenches, the point of attack, right? Look at these teams that are loading up. We mentioned Oregon on Tuesday's show, what they're doing with with uh, with Dan Lanning. It seems like LSU just kind of the, the defensive front seven. That's that's the question mark for me. And Coop, you mentioned, right? Hey, what 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 is the plan for LSU in that defensive line? I hate to do this, but what about like Jason Taylor coming in? You know, his son is playing at, at at LSU. You know, he's making a splash there at Miami. I mean, I think if you're an LSU fan, you need to start thinking forward to all right, who's who's the who's the defensive line hire if we got to make one? It's a huge hire, and I think Scott Woodward, the AD at LSU, is is a guy that is very involved uh, with that program, the LSU football program specifically. That is going to be a position that they are going to invest in. Yeah, I think that's probably one of those rare position rooms that you could see that defensive line coach making upwards eight, 900,000, maybe even a million dollars if it's the right guy. And Miami fans are probably pushing back on this, but here's the thing, Jason Taylor, I mean, you mentioned his son, Mason Taylor, already on the team, probably would have one or two years left uh, with his time in Baton Rouge. Drew, he's in a two-position room room right now with Joe Salavea, right? You wonder how much that kind of comes uh, into effect. And if LSU were going to make a hire, that seems like a guy that would fit, right? That you would throw a bag at, at least pick up the phone, make the phone call and say, hey, are you interested in this? Because we'd love to have you. And I think he'd get after it as a recruiter, right? Look at what Miami's done. They got Ruben Bain. We mentioned him on the previous episode. Uh, Miami's been in the thick of it for a lot of high-profile defensive linemen. And sure, Mario Cristobal, the rest of the guys, and Coral Gables deserve some credit for that. But Aiden Breland, I mean, I think they were at the altar there. LJ McCray, the five-star defensive lineman out of Daytona Beach Mainland High School. We'll see where Miami finishes right there. But I think it would be a home run for the Tigers if they went in that direction because I think Jason Taylor would show up hungry 
right? And I think he would elevate that defensive line recruiting. Final thing I'll say on LSU, right? They have got some some big-time defensive linemen in in recent cycles. You mentioned it, uh, Jackson Howard, Deshaun Womack, uh, Quincy Wiggins, uh, Tyge Hill. Like, none of those guys have played over 50 snaps this season. And I, I think that's a bit alarming. The Quincy Wiggins one is a great reminder. I mean, you would think him in his second year would be a guy that would be on the field. And the other thing is, the last thought is, you know, Brian Kelly's had to bring in 80-plus-year-old Pete Jenkins this year as a consultant, one of the great defensive line teachers of all time, obviously well-renowned at LSU. But, you know, they kind of seem like uh, a group of lost puppies right now that need some leadership at their yeah. position. So I give Brian Kelly credit for, for seeing that, understanding that, bringing in a guy like Pete Jenkins. And I will say this, they played better last week, you know, and that's a that's a group that they feel has the talent to produce. We just haven't seen it so far this season. All right, McGrady, we're going to bring you back on. Who we got next? We move to the Big Ten. We have tight end Tavion Galloway committing to Purdue on Monday, the three-star number 24-ranked tight end in the class of 2024, uh, decommitted from LSU in June, then took official visits to UCF, Syracuse, and Purdue, and then an unofficial in September to Miami. And then he chose the Boilermakers on Monday after having 36 catches for 697 yards and six touchdowns back in 2022. Drew, kind of a weird recruitment, you know, committed to Brian Kelly and, and Mike Dimbrock and decommitted in June. This is a guy that we had in the top 247, 6'5", 230 pounds, two-way snaps, basketball background. He kind of checks all the boxes that we're looking for. Now committed to Ryan Walters, top 30 class for Purdue. Love what they're doing on the recruiting trail. You pop on the senior tape. I like this kid. Does a little bit of everything. You can flex him out. Has inline blocking ability. Plays off the edge. He's got a little bit of a mean streak. You know, I think there are probably some things where, like, hey, we don't have all the pieces to the puzzle. You look at it. He's committed to LSU. Then takes an OV to Syracuse and Central Florida. Ends up at Purdue. Closer to home from that Ohio region. I think this is one of those recruitments just from 30,000 feet. If I'm looking at it with not all the pieces to put it together. It makes sense for the player and it makes sense for the program. I think this is a big get for Purdue. I agree. And what I wrote down for Galloway, two-way tight end, right? I think he gives you in-line versatility. He can block. Now he's going to need to improve in that department, but he can also help facilitate the passing game and look at Purdue's class as a whole. Marco Davia, quarterback, we are big fans of him at, at 24-7 Sports. He's had an uh, you know, up-and-down senior season, but he can spray it around the yard. They also got another kid out of Texas, Keandre Henry, committed. So I think the outlook for Purdue's passing attack is pointing up and, and specifically with Tavion Galloway you're gonna look at the rankings right he's the number 24 tight end for us I'll say this it is a loaded loaded year at tight end uh, we've mentioned the wide receivers I just think this 2024 cycle when we talk about pass catchers as a whole right it, it's not easy and I think if you're Galloway man you're going to a school that has had two tight ends selecting the NFL draft in the past four years and I, I know it's a different staff a different scheme and all that but like you can make the league. I think it's a perfect marriage uh, between these two. And uh, I'll say I'll add this on Purdue's class. You know, I, I audited it, it a few weeks ago. Dude, they got some some under the radar guys. Their offensive line haul. I'm I'm really bullish on three of the four guys over 45 
feet in the shot put. The other one, John Randall Jr. out of Mississippi, uh, helped his team win a state title in basketball. Big man running up and down the court, throwing down dunks. Can't wait to see him at the Alabama-Mississippi game. They also got a, a, a nice pass rusher, uh, Jamari Payne, out of the state of Alabama. Ryan Walters, it's been impressive to see you know, what areas Purdue wants to attack. I think they're going to focus on the backyard, like you said, with Tavion Galloway, but also getting into SEC country uh, and the state of Texas seems like a smart play. He's had a plan. I think you can see his vision. I think the other thing, like if you're Purdue, you got to be an opportunistic program. It seems like Tavion Galloway kind of almost – fell in their lap, right? And I think for them, that's one of those you got to take advantage of. And good job by Ryan Walters there. All right, McGrady, we got one more with Jalen Harvey. What do we got? Yeah, edge rusher Jalen Harvey commits to Penn State on Monday, the three-star number 33 ranked edge in the class of 2024. I've been crystal ball to Penn State since October, last October, and he took an unofficial visit at USC for their season opener versus San Jose State. Turned into a little bit of a recruiting battle, but uh, – Penn State was able to get the commitment. He made his decision after visiting the Penn State-Iowa uh, game during their whiteout game, and that sealed the deal. I think Jalen Harvey is perfect for what Penn State wants to do on defense, and more specifically so with Manny Diaz running the show, right? All eyes are going to be on the game against Ohio State this weekend, and I think the story is going to be that defense. You know, I had a chance to cover Manny Diaz when he was at the University of Miami, got very familiar with that scheme and that system. And it starts with generating pressure at the point of attack and more specifically so from the interior. And Jalen Harvey, you know, is he an edge rusher? Is he a defensive lineman? I think he's a guy that you add some weight, tack some mass on. We know Penn State's strength and conditioning program is impressive and can transform bodies. I think you view him as a, a five or a three on the inside and you let him rip in certain passing situations so I love this pickup for Jalen Harvey uh, sharp football it's kind of one of these metrics I use they have Penn State as the number two defense right now when it comes to creating negative drives so that's negative plays, sacks you know three and outs uh, number one's Iowa number two Penn State number 16 is Missouri uh, and that's under the direction of Blake Baker who was uh, Manny Diaz's protege, protege at uh, the University of Miami. So I love this fit, um, and, and I think he's a guy that uh, is made for Penn State. I'm with you, Drew. I think about three position rooms when I think about Penn State over the last three years, quarterback, what they've done there. I mean, you think about Jackson Smolik, Ethan Gronkemeyer, and then I think about that defensive line room, right, what they build off the edge. And then the last one, the defensive back room the success that they've had going down in the state of Florida. And I bring up the last three years because I got here in, what, 2021, and Penn State is has been, like, the consistent team for me that might be outside of the, the top ten. I think last year they were at 12. The year before that they were at eight. But I love what they're doing. Like, from a consistent roster construction standpoint, the consistency of how they're building their team with a height, weight, speed philosophy, I think in a lot of ways – that's the culmination of the team that you're seeing right now, and I think they're built for the future. I think it's going to be a huge litmus test this weekend against an Ohio State team that might not be as prolific as they have been through the air, and this is a really well-coached and very talented Penn State defense under Manny Diaz. Drew, I don't know about you, but this is kind of like, to me, this is the game that I have circled for Penn State to kind of see, like, all right, where do they fit in in kind of the big picture of college football going forward? Absolutely. And Coop, Penn State is stocking up at premium positions, right? You just said it. Quarterback, 
defensive line, and then in the secondary, right? Conrad, not they didn't get Conrad Hussey last cycle. They finished with Elliott Washington. You know, he's playing early on. They got John Mitchell, cornerback out of Florida, uh, Antonio Belgrave shorter. Like those are all really talented guys. I think the offensive line deserves some credit as well. Cooper Cousins, we moved him up in our most recent top 247 update. Garrett Sexton has everything you're looking for in a future left tackle. Uh, I, I think their formula when we look at where college football is right now with the transfer portal, the NIL and all this stuff, they're investing in the correct position rooms, you know, offensive line, pass rushers, quarterback, and then in that secondary. So I, I love it. What Penn state's doing. Big matchup for Penn state this weekend in Columbus. We're going to find out a lot about that team. College game day will be there as well. So a huge showdown in the big 10. All right, Drew, one of my favorite segments that we got coming up here, scouting crushes. Now here are the rules. You cannot highlight one player in the top 32. So no five stars allowed. They have to be on either day two or day three of what we like to call the NFL draft. So Drew, Scouting crushes. We have the top 247 release of 2024 and update. We have two more left, one in December, which will highlight the postseason and then February as well. So we'll get started with some scouting crushes. And Drew, I'm going to start with you. Zabian Brown, cornerback out of modern day, the number 44 player in the country, number three cornerback. This is a year that is light on corners, right? And only one in the top 32, I believe, with Ellis Robinson really at the top of the board. But Zabion Brown's one of those guys. We got him at 44 right now. He's within striking distance of the top 32. And Drew, this is a guy that you think potentially has enough in the tank to make a move if everything lines up over the next couple months before signing day or even after signing day to potentially be in the conversation for a top 32 spot. So, Coop, what I think is kind of unique about this scouting calendar or recruiting calendar is for me personally, the month of January and the month of February, I get a chance to see a ton of blue chip defensive backs and wide receivers at various camps and, and seven on seven tournaments down here in Florida, right? The weather is better. Teams will travel from all across, across the country. And I go back to uh, this past winter, right? It was all the 2024s, a lot of them at the Battle Miami event, um, and then you had the Orlando Pylon event. And that was my first exposure to Zabian Brown, who was at Matter Day High School. He's playing for the South Florida Express. I know it makes no sense, but uh, these have kind of turned into all-star teams where kids will play with anyone. And I, I thought right away, Zabian Brown, to me, he was my favorite cornerback that I had scouted in that type of setting. We're talking about a kid that is over six foot, and he is super clean with his footwork. Uh, he can flip the hips. He can gain depth. He can change directions. I just love his game. Uh, hasn't had a chance to create a ton of turnovers uh, playing there in the Trinity League. Had three interceptions as a junior. Only has two pass breakups here as a senior. And he actually missed this past weekend's game. Uh, against Bosco, which was a loss for Matter Day. He was out with some type of injury. So hoping he will be back for the All-American events. But I think when we just talk about what you're looking for in a new age cornerback, he's got some verified foot speed, 11-1-3 in the 100-meter dash. But from a technique standpoint, a length standpoint, a football IQ, how he gets to the catch point, I'm super uh, bullish on Zabian Brown. And I always have been, right? I've been saying this if we go all the way back to when we first uh, audited in the new year, the class of 2024. I think it says a lot that Alabama zeroed in on him. I think the final three was Alabama, 
Oregon and USC. I think this guy is going to thrive uh, for the Crimson Tide under the direction of Nick Saban. And, and remember, they just got Caleb Downs last cycle, you know, going to eventually lose Kool-Aid McKinstry. I think Zabian Brown is someone that can step in, play field corner if you need him to. And I think he can play over the top as well. So Zabian Brown, big on him. And Coopy kind of reminds me, I've been looking for a player comp. I think I found one, Nate Wiggins, the corner uh, at Clemson. You know, Nate Wiggins, two-way guy coming out of Georgia. Uh, Zabian Brown doesn't have that luxury there playing for the powerhouse that is Matter Day. But I think from a, a, a frame standpoint and what they're able to bring to the table, uh, you know, I, I kind of like that one for Zabian Brown. I think it says a lot about Zabian Brown that Alabama's going all the way out to, to California this cycle to go get a player like him. And I also think it says a lot about the corner board, right? That Alabama does have to go all the way out to California to get a guy like Zabian Brown. Love the Nate Wiggins comp. I, see that lining up a lot. Drew, I'm going to go with Amaris Williams. This is a guy that we have right behind Xavier Brown at number 45, top 10 defensive lineman in the country. He's going to join a stacked Florida defensive line room out of North Carolina, Clinton, North Carolina, six, two and a quarter, 256 pounds. He's got a 80 plus inch wingspan, ran four, seven, eight. Drew, this is one of those guys we kind of saw in the spring, tested extremely well, caught our eye. And then in terms of the senior season, man, getting it done on both sides of the ball. You see the running back tape, it really pops strong, explosive, dynamic off the edge, can beat you with speed, quickness, also has the ability to go speed to power. This is just one of those guys, Drew, you watch the senior tape, you look more into the athletic profile. It's like he, he's kind of got a bottle rocket attached to him in terms of the stock right now. but. An ascending player, a guy that we love. You think about Florida's defensive line room, Jamonte Waller, another guy, super, super productive. We got to see uh, earlier in the year as well. And then not to mention one of my favorites, Nasir Johnson, right? So Florida's got this defensive line room kind of humming, top three class in the country. Drew, this is a guy at the end of the day, I think has all the physical traits uh, to, to be in the conversation for a top 32 spot. The comp for me and it's not perfect, is another guy from North Carolina. It kind of reminded me of Jalen Walker out of Georgia, right? Um, and, and the reason I say that, both had two-way snaps, both from North Carolina, and both guys, I think, position projection-wise, were kind of murky. We didn't know whether Jalen Walker was going to play off the edge. We didn't know whether he was going to be a second-level off-ball linebacker. I think that's the same thing with Amaris Williams. He's got some things to figure out in terms of where he's going to line up on the field. The good thing for Florida, I think they're getting a different caliber athlete. Well, I would encourage anyone watching or listening to search his highlights because you got to a. How much did you say he weighed? What is he now? Two sixty or something like that? Yeah, that was a while ago. That was in the beginning of the year, yeah. right? So he, yeah, two fifty six. He's essentially like a featured running back for his <laughs> high school. It's kind of, it's kind of rare. And when we first, I believe, came across him, you know, I was in the dark web trying to research him. Like he worked out as a sophomore at NC State as a running back. Like they, they, he showed up, and I think he ran like a four-seven on the lasers for them, and they thought he was a running back. No, Kuba, I, I love you brought him up. Uh, I, I think the strength of Florida's class is that defensive line, right? Um, and, and Florida has known this for a few cycles now. They got to get better up front, uh, and they they got to build some depth out. And I think Amaris Williams, Nasir Johnson, Jamonte Waller. Only going to elevate the floor of that room. Kelby Collins, we're seeing him play here early on for the Gators. Uh, holding on to that that group is going to be big for Billy Napier. All right, Drew, I used to be a doubting Thomas on this guy. You made me see, and now I believe. That is top three, four, seven running back. Dylan Jones out of Maryland, committed to Wisconsin. 
one of our favorite fits, but I think is a guy that as we've continued to watch, we have continued to admire. I mean, he continues to win over the hearts and eyes of the people making the decisions at 24-7 Sports. Drew, you have long been a fan of Dylan Jones. I have. Saw him at the Under Armour Baltimore camp back in May. My alpha dog for the event, which says a lot, right? It's not a padded camp, and it's hard for running backs to really, I don't, I don't know, shine in that setting. you got one-on-ones and some positional drills. I, I just love this guy's run style. He's violent. He's a slasher, quick to hit the hole. Um, he always seems to be spinning and flinging forward. I think he is built for in-between-the-tackles work. But when he finds daylight, he's creative at the second level, and he's going to get into the end zone. Uh, good counsel, big rivalry game this past weekend against DeMatha. Went to overtime. Dylan, three touchdowns in that game. Look, Wisconsin's going to lose its top two running backs after this season. I know, hey, they got the air raid going on there. That's They're going to throw it all around the, the field. Look at the Big Ten statistical leaders right now. Wisconsin is number three in rushing yards per game. They still want to run the football to move the chains. And uh, Dylan Jones is part of, I think, a three-man running back class right now. I continue to kind of just read, you know, the Wisconsin sites. And some of the other guys uh, are, are the ones everyone's glowing about, right? Those are the running backs they like. We like Dylan Jones. And I also, you know, he's physical, right? Again, hard to get to the ground. Well, it makes sense. He's a decorated wrestler, fourth at States there in Maryland and the 172-pound weight class. So he's also, I think, been on the lighter side, right, trying to cut weight, get him to Wisconsin with Luke Fickle in that strength program. And he's going to be a monster at some point down the line. So big fans. And then and I'll also add, watch his full game against Orlando Jones. He can get it done in pass pro. I think we always overlook that when it comes to these running backs. His ability to play all three downs and protect the quarterback is, is certainly notable, and it stands out with this 2024 group of ball carriers. Everything you just said about Dylan Jones lends to him seeing the field early in Madison, right? I mean, you talk about excellent balance, body control, strong, being able to play between the tackles, good, good patience, vision if you watch him on tape as well. And then you talk about – his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and being able to protect and pass protection. I don't think people really understand for young running backs. That's kind of the thing that will either be the reason they see the field early or they, they don't, right? Can you trust those guys in those type of situations? Dylan Jones, a wrestler, Drew, at the running back position. Guess what? His head coach, also a wrestler as well, right? So you think about that connection. That's probably something that drew Luke Fickle to Dylan Jones for quite some time. All right, Drew, I'm going to go to Clemson here. I'm going to go with Darian Mayo out of the same school of Dylan Jones in, in Maryland. And this is a guy that, as I've gotten familiar with more recently, 6'8 and a quarter, 250 pounds, 36 and a half inch arms. He's got excellent length, good combination of size and athleticism as well. You can stand him up. He can play with his hand in the dirt. Quick twitch, explosive, long. I think he needs to learn how to play through his frame, use his size to his advantage. But this is a guy, you mentioned Wisconsin strength conditioning program. I think Clemson from a defensive line developmental standpoint, I don't think there's a better fit for Darian Mayo. He's going to go there, and I think by year two is going to be a guy that you're going to see making plays for Clemson. We've seen what they have already in guys like Tamarian Parker, Peter Woods, Drew. To me, this was an excellent evaluation with our latest top 247 update. He finds his way in there. But I love this kid, and I think he's only getting started in terms of scratching the ceiling of what he's going to be. I mean, go back to that Under Armour Baltimore camp, and I know a lot of people are going to be like, what? I mean, I, I showed up, and I had 
no real context to who Darian Mayo is, right? You've seen his name. You've seen a little bit of the tape, but you didn't really understand how big he was until you got around him. I mean, he was towering over everyone. I think they got him at six foot eight. You know, who knows if it's actually six foot eight, it might be six foot seven. You know, he could show up to the NFL scouting combine one day and be six foot six. But the bottom line is like, from a specs standpoint, I was like, I'm like, who is this? Right. And I think the most encouraging thing with Darian Mayo is the junior tape to the senior tape has gotten so much better. And Cooper, I don't think he's going to be a guy that is year one, year two, but that back end year three, year four, I mean, he has a chance to be a potential monster just with how he moves that type of length. You cannot create big people, right? You have to go find those big people and coach them up. I think Darian Mayo I mean, he has Sunday potential, right? He is more physically built than Greg Russo was at this stage. And we're seeing what Greg Russo is doing for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, Greg Russo was playing like safety in high school. And I think everyone wants to use uh, Greg as the comp for these six, seven creatures. Um, Darian Mayo, a, a little bit further ahead at this stage. We'll see what happens when he gets to there in the ACC. You know, when I write these scouting reports and I haven't done it on Mayo but just thinking to myself you know like one of the last things I always write with players like this is if it comes together is the type of guy that can outperform his current grade projection and Darian Mayo is the guy that if it all comes together like I wouldn't be shocked right like you talk about Greg Russo was a guy that ended up being taken in the first round and one of the last picks right by the Buffalo Bills that's Darian Mayo. Like, I think this guy can play his way into a top day two draft pick at the next level. And I think he's a beautiful fit for Clemson. Drew, the name that kind of came up, I think you and I tossed this around, Cameron James, last cycle, right? Another six foot yeah. six defensive lineman yeah. ended up signing with Florida. It was a top 100 player for us in the top 247. So Clemson's got a good one, and they got another good one on the offensive side of the ball. That is tight end Kristen Benton Kerr from Illinois. Drew, the number eight tight end in the country, number 114 overall. This is a guy that I think ebbs and flows, right? We, we've had a hard time figuring out. You turn on the senior tape, and you're like, whoa, I think Clemson's got something here. I think I've been on an island with Christian Bentinker. He is a box checker, okay? Let's see, uh, 6'4 and a half, 233 pounds, 4'4'2 in the short shuttle, 29.8 vert vertical jump, right? So he's got, he's got all that. Uh, but he is producing, and he has produced over his career. Coop, I, I just looked it up, 203 career receptions. That ranks 10th all-time uh, in Illinois high school football history, right? He is like five away from passing Laquan Treadwell. Uh, already passed P.J. Fleck, who had 199 receptions back when he was playing high school football in uh, the mid-1990s. Um, and then the basketball stuff. This kid has scored over a 1,000 career points in three years. He was an all-state honorable mention on the hardwood, averaging 21.1 points per game. Right. So the profile is screaming off the charts. You want to talk about some NFL rookie tight ends, Sam Laporta, Dalton Kincaid. Those guys were big basketball players. And none of that matters unless it shows up on tape with Christian Bentinker. It does. Right. He has a wide catch radius. His spatial awareness is, is some of the best I've seen in this 2024 cycle. I think Clemson, perfect fit for him. Right. Jake Brenningstall is eventually going to be out. Uh, they're in Death Valley. And, and what do they got behind him? They got our guy Olsen 
Pat Henry, who they took last cycle out of the state of Florida, uh, heard some things from FAU's coaching staff who saw him in warmups, and they're like, dear God, hopefully this guy doesn't play against us because he has uh, transformed his body. Uh, but Christian Bentinker, I, I think he uh, can be a move tight end. You know, he's going to need to improve the blocking a little bit. But what's encouraging is he also plays defense, already has five sacks, five games into his senior season. I just love everything, the multi-sport the production, um, he can run, he can uh, separate at the top of his route. So I'm all in on Christian Bintaker, one of my favorite prospects here in the 2024 cycle. I don't think people really understand the importance of basketball when it comes to evaluating a tight end. And Drew, you mentioned like you got to watch the basketball tape. You got to see how they move. It's not so much, I would say, like the objective part of explosion and, you know, how are these guys getting in and out of breaks? But you said it, spatial awareness, such an important trait and a subjective part of the evaluation when you're evaluating tight ends. It's not so much, hey, what is this guy doing on a three cone or the short shuttle? It's more about how does this guy leverage his opponent? How does he create separation, the suddenness in and out of the route? You watch Christian Bentenker. This is a guy who has a really good feel and is very nuanced at the tight end position. I think another one of those guys for Clemson that can get on the field early. So Drew, you said it, basketball background obviously stands out, has played himself into a very high ranking for us as a senior. All right, Drew, last one for me, safety Aaron Flowers out of Texas, number 117 in the top 247, number nine safety. Just one of those guys you turn on the tape and it's kind of hard to take your eyes off. Six foot, 180 pounds, 6'4 plus wingspan, wingspan, excuse me, 413 shuttle. And the reason I bring that up is when you watch the tape, this guy is a chess piece on the back end in the secondary. You see him. He can play both safety spots. He's very comfortable in run support. But the short area quickness matched up with the football instincts playing the deep part of the field, I think that's going to result in a guy who's going to have a lot of on-ball production. The other thing, his closing speed, his physicality at the point of attack, really willing and physical tackler. I think this is a dude that's going to come into a very talented Oregon secondary, but he's going to find his way on the field via special teams, right? That's one of the one of the things that stands out when you watch this kid. He was one of those guys, Drew, it's like, I don't know how much he's really got to, to move up. I think we got him in the right spot, but in terms of like football players that you asterisked on your board when it gets to a certain range, like if you're in a room, a draft room, you're like, I got to get that guy. If he's there, we're taking him for a lot of different reasons. This dude can do a multitude of different things. Super smart, heady defender, like I said, can play the run, can play the pass as well. Those guys are really hard to find. It seems like we just love Oregon's entire defensive class, right? You mentioned Danimal might sign one of the top D-line groups ever for a West Coast program. I think the secondary, you said it, Aaron Flowers, they got Iffy at uh, – where is he at? Uh, St. Francis. Uh, Francis, Dakota Fields. Uh, then you talk about the linebackers. I mean, Oregon's defense, they're going to be ready for Big Ten play. Yeah, Oregon getting it done on the trail right now, currently ranked number nine in the 24-7 sports composite team rankings. Just a quick reminder, you are listening to the 24-7 sports football recruiting podcast every Tuesday, Wednesday at 5 o'clock Eastern time, 4 p.m. Central. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcast, Apple, Spotify included. You can also find us on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. All right, let's get back into it here, Drew, in a segment that uh, you yourself came up with. How about this? The International Olympic Committee announced on Monday that flag football will be part of the 2028 
Summer Olympics in LA. Before we get to this, Ryan McGrady, you got to have something on this, huh? It's one of uh, five sports, I want to say. So they got uh, squash coming into the Olympics and a couple other sports. So it's cool to see flag football coming to it's been around in America and now the rest of the world will get to see it because uh, it's going to be the Olympics for the whole world to watch. Miami Dolphins All-Pro receiver, he also tweeted, uh, making sure that everybody knew. He said, hey, calling all NFL guys, let's bring one home with a gold medal emoji. Shout out Tyree Kill. Here's the thing, though. 2028, how old is Tyree Kill going to be at that time? Drew, I think you did the math on that, right? He'll be what, 34? 34 or 35. I don't know. I think Tyreek Hill is probably, it would be interesting when they put this team together and kind of see the guys that actually do take the field for the United States flag football team who are going to be the guys that actually play. Like our NFL teams actually going to let their players play in the Olympics of a flag football game. I can see that being a big deal. The U.S. men's national team, they won gold in 2022 at the World Games held in all places. Birmingham, Alabama. Shout out to my peeps in Birmingham, Alabama. The roster included 12 players. So, Drew, with that, each of us are going to select two guys for the 2028 Olympics. And I'm going to start with you, Drew. Who you got? Well, I've done some research on this, right? I mean, it's not seven on seven, but it's flag football is essentially seven on seven. So uh, you mentioned 12 guys, right? You have to have guys that go both ways. They, they got to be a wide receiver and they got to be a corner. So we're looking to what, five years from now, I think the obvious player, Travis Hunter, right? And some context, I've seen Travis Hunter play seven on seven. We've all seen what he's done at Colorado here uh, for Coach Prime going both ways. Like he is probably the best seven on seven player I've ever seen. Uh, we're talking about someone who at one point was Georgia's career uh state leader in touchdown catches. We know what he can do on defense. Uh, I think Travis Hunter should be an absolute lock for this team, right? He can shut down one side of the field and then he can go get the football on offense. So my mindset, my thinking, you need two-way guys. I think Travis Hunter is the first call you need to make. And I also think Travis Hunter would embrace this, right? This is a guy that like loves to be in the spotlight. I, I think, you know, where would he be in 2025 like year two of his NFL contract yeah what blows my mind is you know the opposition what poor soul from whatever <laughs> other country is going to have to guard Travis Hunter one-on-one -on -one. Drew my first invite my first phone call Caleb Williams Heisman Trophy winner last year in 2022 the most prolific passer in the country maybe not this year I mean you got all those quarterbacks Drake May Bo Nix Michael Penix it's been a competitive year at the top but this is the guy I think Drew, the other thing I would have to ask is, do they have a rusher in flag football, right? Because that went into the part of the equation and the decision-making process for me. This guy is the best on the move. He has got what Bill Walsh likes to call the spontaneous genius. He can play within the structure of the pocket. He can also do some things outside of the pocket. I think this is a very, very easy phone call for whoever is the head of the 2028 uh, roster building process for the U.S. flag football Olympic team. Well, Coop, uh, having covered plenty of seven on seven tournaments in my uh, eight years of doing this, it depends on the tournament. Some of them you get two blitzes. Some of them you get three blitzes. Some of them you can't blitz at all. Some of them you can run the football if you wanted to. So. I don't know the official I Olympic Federation's rules, but I do think there is a rush. 
and the quarterback needs to be able to move around. I think Caleb Williams could play maybe some linebacker if you needed to in, uh, in a pinch. Uh, for my second invite, I am going with Evan Stewart, wide receiver, Texas A&M. Um, this guy's electric, right? He can go get the football. He can go deep. Another guy I have seen play seven on seven, which is just like flag football. He's also played some defense. I think he's got that short area quickness to work at cornerback. I, I mean, Evan Stewart is kind of at times a, a one man show for the Aggies. I, I, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, just about what the NFL is, is looking for right now. I have a good hunch these speedy wide receivers, these speedy weapons uh, are going to be really coveted because everyone's going to try to copy what Mike McDaniel's doing in the Miami Dolphins with that electric offense. I just think with where the game is going right now, Evan Stewart uh, is tailor-made for the NFL, and I think he's tailor-made for our uh, mock flag football team in 2028. Nostradamus, I'm going to put you on the spot. Are there any international corners out there that stand a chance against Travis Hunter or Evan Stewart? I got a couple that come to mind, but I was wondering if you could think of anybody out there that could maybe put a stop to these guys. Not off the top of my head, and I can't think of any guys that could be like Travis Hunter and play both ways. He's got 496 snaps played this year in just four games, so he's averaging 124 plays per game, so I think he could handle some seven-on-seven playing offense and defense the two names that come to mind for me i don't know why pretty random christian gonzalez that i believe would be representing columbia right and then the other one would be ben st Eust, who played at minnesota by way of michigan now with the washington commanders i think he'd suit up for canada i believe that correct drew do you well, have any other got, ones he got his first interception yeah. last week too there you go yeah that that's the thing it, it you know we're just talking about the americans but don't the Olympic rules work that, hey, if you got a grandparent or relative that were born in that country, you would be you'd be eligible. Like, I think Samoa would be have some dudes. Right. Uh, Nico Iamalieva would be eligible to play for them. I think some of these European countries and I believe, again, in my preliminary research here, Mexico has a strong football program in terms of what they got going on. Hey, if that's the case, don't be surprised if I'm out there for Italy over there just carrying the flag <laughs> for the 2028 Olympics. All right, last invite for me, wide receiver Keon Coleman. I mean, you saw the one-handed catch last week. This guy has been balling all season, one of the most dynamic receivers in all of college football. I don't know how you stop him. I went back and forth between Keon Coleman, Malik Neighbors. I think both one-on-one on one, one on one nightmares, but this dude, six-foot-four-plus, can jump out of the gym, obviously has the basketball background as well. Absolute freak. Uh, we mentioned those corners from international countries. I, I don't know. They, they have a hard time stopping them here in the States. I don't know how they're going to do that on the international stage. McGrady, any, any context on my man Keon Coleman? Yeah, he leads the ACC in touchdown receptions this year with seven, and he was the number four ranked wide receiver in the – 2023 transfer class as he switched states from Michigan State to Florida State. Love it. Love it. Drew, that is it. Ryan McGrady, the Nostradamus as well. Just a reminder, you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Remember, you can find us Tuesday, Wednesday at 5 o'clock Eastern Time on Spotify, Apple as well, and the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. For Andrew Ivins, Ryan McGrady, I'm Cooper Patagna. We'll see you next week.